It is so amazing to see the speed, the energy and so on directly on the ridge, how fast we gliders can fly. We can fly with 200, 250 kilometers per hour. That's so spectacular. Welcome to Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast. My name is Chuck. I'm your host, coming to you from the Mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and flying with the Cumberland Soaring Group. This is episode 82. Thank you for joining us. Super excited to bring you this episode. But if you haven't already, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And if you really like what we are doing, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. And thank you to all our Patreon pilots for contributing to the podcast. Greatly appreciated. If you want to support us financially, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash sky. We have updated our Patreon page and added some benefits for those of you that want to do that. If you don't want to use Patreon, you can still help the show by going to our website and hitting the support the show button. While you're at the website, you can also sign up for our brand new newsletter. This episode is sponsored by the Southern California Soaring Academy, a 501c3 nonprofit organization located in the high desert of Los Angeles, California. Soaring Academy is dedicated to growing the sport of soaring with young people through its 8th grade STEM outreach programs and giving back to PTSD-afflicted veterans during private monthly events. Flight lessons and mountain soaring are available year-round to the general public, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. To learn how you can get involved, check them out on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Soaring Academy or online at SoCalSoaringAcademy.com. Stefan Longer is a successful cross-country and competition pilot who shares his adventures on YouTube. His YouTube channel was the first pure gliding channel and now has over 100,000 subscribers. Stefan's passion is to see the world from a bird's eye view and capture these moments on camera to show the excitement of our sport to others. Stefan also enjoys competing and has earned the German Junior Champion in Club Class, German Champion in Club Class, three-time Junior Worlds Club Class, and three-time German 18-meter and Open Class. He also recently came in first at the Pre-WGC this year. Later on this episode, for our Soaring Safety segment, Stefan will be back with some great advice for us. Dale Masters will also join us for another great story on Soaring Tales with Dale. We will then catch up with Barbara Mriftova, Czech women's gliding team member, to find out how her 2020 soaring season went, flying the LS8, for our soaring tips and techniques segment. All this and more right now on episode 82 of Soaring the Sky. Stefan Longer, welcome to Soaring the Sky. I am super excited to chat with you today. How are you? Hello, Chuck. I'm fine. Thank you. So first, I do want to congratulate you on your 1,000K. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, this year I made one declared, or I made two declared 1,000 kilometer flights. Both were FAI triangles. Uh, it was a huge dream of me to do this with the AST29 and 80 meter class. And this year I had time to do it, and it was great fun. Thank you. Wow, that that is uh, how long was that those flights? As far as time-wise, <laughs> I don't know exactly. I think something above ten hours or around ten hours. Um, the average speed was quite okay for German conditions, and so it was not too long. Wow. 
So where are you flying out of usually? I know you fly all over the world, but yeah, my home airfield is in Donauwörth. It's called Stillberghof. Um, that's directly at the Donau River, at the northern part of the Donau River. Um, it's a great um, point to start. Huge tasks in the flatlands because we have great conditions there, and also the airspace um, around uh, is good to fly huge triangles around Stuttgart, around um, Nuremberg and so on. Um, so that's really something which I'm proud of to have this at home. Well, congratulations again. And I do want to get started. Like, you know, we ask all the, our guest pilots here on Soaring the Sky. And that is, how did your aviation adventure get started? Yeah, it's... Most probably most of the others I started with um, flying RC gliders, um, especially my father has also a PPL, so um, he flies powered planes and um, as a child you get um, toys, you get um, RC gliders and um, you get into the stuff. Then my brother is two years older and he started I think with the age of 15 with his um, glider training. And then I was already on the airfield. Um, I um, learned to drive a car, the tractor and so on. And um, it was fun for me as a child to be there. Then with 14 years, I started also with a gliding training and um, made my license with 16 years. So I was really focused on flying. It was a lot of fun on the airfield. And then um, when I had my license, I thought, yeah, I want to do it properly. Um, I want to get more experience about cross-country flying and learn it. At the beginning, I um, learned it on my own. And one other friend also was really into it. And we just had fun try to fly cross country. The tasks were not the biggest ones. Um, I think it took me about one and a half year to make my first 300 kilometer flight. But then, um, yeah, I learned a lot and it went quicker and quicker because um, I was able to attend training camps. Then at my first competition, the first junior competition, I placed, I think, 12 from 25 um, competitors so it was not good but somehow um, I was able to get qualified for the junior championships and there I placed fifth at the end and that was my entry to the German junior national team and there we had a lot of training camps and theoretical things which I learned and um, also the other pilots the other members helped me a lot and yeah, it was a long progress and now I'm able to fly 1000 kilometers here in Germany without all the help from all the other people around me, from the trainers, from the other pilots. It would not be possible to, to have all the success now. It was a great journey and yeah, I'm looking forward to do the next years of flying competitions, especially also of um, exploring more new adventures to fly in other areas in other countries perhaps in countries where no others flew with gliders um, there's so many to explore in our world in our earth 
You have shared, you know, a lot of those flights on video. Of course, you're a big YouTuber, but what single video, if you can put your finger on it, really exploded your YouTube channel and views? Did it surprise you at the time or were you like, oh, yeah, this is really going to get crazy? I did not expect that this will happen, that my YouTube channel will get so big um, so quickly. Uh, at the beginning, it was really hard work or I uploaded a lot of videos and there were some views and um, I think three years ago I started with this journey um, to publish more um, videos and last year in September I got 10,000 subscribers on YouTube but then um, this year I got 100,000 so in between there was a huge step and the one video which was the viral one is um, the video called Spectacular Glider Touchdown in Rain. It was at the e-glide competition in Pavulo in Italy where I made a traffic pattern and landing which was a little bit fast, um, low above buildings and there was some rain. So it was really interesting to see and the end was a really smooth landing on the on the runway and a lot of people watched it when i uploaded this video i did not think that um, it will gain a lot of views it was easy to publish video because i only had to cut the beginning and the end of this um, action cam sequence but it's not only one video which um, will explode your channel there are more videos involved and all the other videos which I published before were also important to gain some audience. And then um, I made one video where I caught um, the tow rope of a plane in the air with my hand. And this was also a more or less viral video. And there I gained some more attraction on the YouTube channel. And then with the other videos, it really picked up. And I had a lot of luck with the YouTube algorithm to suggest my videos to other people to non-pilots really grateful for this but i don't know how it really happened and uh, i cannot tell others how to do it because i don't understand it completely on my own well we're definitely enjoying those videos thanks for sharing those thank you you have so many crazy flights and videos i know this is probably a harder question but if you had to pick like one or two were there any of those flights even for maybe just a short moment, you were like, oh no, like the funnel cloud maybe, or that crazy low flying on the beach. To most of us, there's so many videos that we're just kind of holding our breath. Yeah, it was really exciting to fly um, into the funnel cloud. I um, thought about it um, when I've seen the funnel, the, if it is really dangerous for me or not. Um, it was an amazing experience. And I think in the video, it looks um more worse than it really was. I've already flown above nuclear power plants here in Germany and there the thermos or the updraft is really rough and so on. And would say the funnel cloud was not completely different to this, not more energy in there. And with a glider, you also have the option with your parachute in really in the worst case when you are high enough. So I did not expect that the glider will get damaged or something else in the funnel cloud. And also the low flying at the beach it was really fun to do. And my first flight there at the cliffs was uh, with an instructor in a duodiscus. So I got some experience already and it was 
fun and it was great to see it from the guys who did it already several times and um, I trust on their experience as well so it was only a lot of fun and, and nothing which I thought where I thought um, no that's that's really <laughs> at the edge or so um, I had one flight in New Zealand uh, last year I also made a video about this where I tried to fly a huge triangle and one turn point which I made by myself was above the ocean so five or ten kilometers out to the ocean and I thought when I flew back I can use the ridge lift from the cliffs um, to get some more altitude and then fly back into the uh, land to get a thermal but <laughs> unfortunately at this day the ridge lift was not enough so I was only able to maintain my altitude some meters above the cliffs but directly at the sea there's not the possibility the thermals need some land to warm up the air and to produce a thermal and directly at the border of the ocean um, and this does not really happen and um, I was stuck there for about one hour or one and a half hours and I only had the beach to land there was a proper beach but um, this definitely was <laughs> a scary moment and I was pushing a little bit too hard there also the other part of the flight was really challenging um, at the end it was an amazing flight and I've experienced so many situations there I've captured so many amazing moments also with the camera but this flight was really one where I thought yeah perhaps this was a little bit too much I really enjoyed that flight. It was absolutely beautiful there on the beach. Thank you. I know a lot of glider pilots aspire to, you know, to do cool stuff and document it on social media. Do you have any advice or words for the pilots that have less experience that maybe need to be a little more careful about some of the things that they're filming? Yeah, in general, for me as well, um, the, the one main problem is with the regulations that we need to have clearance to the clouds. I would say nearly every glider pilot um, do not really care about um, the clearance to the clouds, especially when you fly in the thermals. You don't want to have 300 meters left till the cloud base, so 1,000 feet. Uh, here in Germany and Europe, we need to have this clearance, especially in competitions. It's nothing we can uh, do or we don't want to do. Um, so that's one thing I really recommend to take care not to publish everything which you record. Most of the time, these are the moments which are the best um, scenic flights and um, it, it looks really interesting. But I would take care of this. And also with action cams mounted on the outside of the glider, um, it is not completely legal and you should take care where mounted um, with my standard label some years ago I mounted the action cam at one of the wings but more to the fuselage so only 50 centimeters from the fuselage um, far away and I made a vortex to the elevator so I could feel these um, turbulences um, when I had my stick in the hand and this was some yes scary moment to see that it really makes sense not to mount uh, the action cam just everywhere on the glider really should take care about this 
Well, you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but in the vein of safety, with all your thousands of hours in gliders, could you spend a few minutes just talking about what to you are some of the biggest takeaways you've had over the years on how to keep us safe and be safer pilots? Yeah, I have about 2,000 hours of um, gliders, glider flights. And <laughs> yeah, I, I made already some stupid mistakes, I would say. And especially one thing which came up uh, this summer as well is um, do your checklist. You learn to have to go through your checklist before the launch and um, also before your landing. Once the, the air brakes came out at the aerotow, I've already published this video. It was in Sweden, I think two years ago. And I realized this um, just in time. The, the flaps came out. That's really important to, to do all these checklists. And then the summer I um, made a landing without uh, the gear lowered. So um, the gear was retracted and I landed on the fuselage in, in the grass. It was not um, really dangerous or not too bad at the end, but um, there you realize that you should take more care of um, of these details as well. Also in competition flying, uh, I recorded this flight, and there I've seen that it was really concentrated on the radio um, things. There were other gliders joining the traffic pattern from the other side, so really had to have a look outside to see where they are, um, how fast they will be there when they will land and so on we were four gliders nearly landing at the same time so um, that's why my focus was more to the communication part and i'm not the best person in multitasking and um, perhaps you've also noticed this in uh, in my videos uh, it's really difficult for me to um to explain everything especially during the competition flight um, they are more focused on the flying and not on the communication part also um <laughs> i have a lot of outlandings already and also there i i tried um, stupid things already um for example one outlanding in slovakia i think two or three years ago um, where I landed with my standard lapel, was trying to get a lift till the very end. And then the landing was was somehow okay. We had um, great fields there to land, but then um, I think nobody noticed this in the video, but I did not use the air brakes for the landing. I really landed without air brakes. Also when I was then on the ground for the first time then I, I was still in the air afterwards and landed and in the air and so on and there i should have noticed that i should use the air brakes before i just wanted to get as far as possible on the field that's why i did not need the air brakes but um then when i was on the ground it would have been uh, better and safer to use them so really make a traffic pattern try to and be at least 200 meters above the outlanding field so that you can have a look at the field and then you can make a proper traffic pattern like you've learned it in your training and like you do it every time on the airfield. Uh, it's really important to, to have this um, routine and to do it. I had, I think my first outlanding at a competition here yeah, um, was with a DG300 and 
it was not too high at the end when I um, decided for a field, but the problem was not um, the height. The problem was that I was above the field and did not make the perfect traffic pattern. So I, I arrived too high at the landing spot. And then I thought, yeah, the next field is also okay. And then the next field was not too good. Um, it was really rough. And then I thought, yeah, over there, there's uh, some field of grass and you can land there. But this field was also really not good. Um, and there I, <laughs> I made a ground loop then. My left wing hit the grass at first before my landing gear. And... I had a lot of luck. The glider was not damaged. Everything was fine. But these are the experiences you don't want to have and you don't want to to do it twice. Um, need to take care about it. Gliding is not uh, the best sport to make bigger mistakes. Um, it's, yeah, we humans are not meant to fly. <laughs> we really need to take care about this. Yeah, definitely learn from our mistakes and others other pilots mistakes as well so we all can become better and safer pilots thank you some great advice there yeah and um, one thing i would add here is um that i also like to see other pilots and um, to publish videos with their mistakes there was one video published on youtube uh, from new zealand where um uh, i think it was an instructor with his um student went into a cloud and they nearly they, they had a lot of luck not to hit the mountain where they were in. And I think it's really important for us pilots, for us glider pilots to see these mistakes also in social media. But most of them don't want to publish it because everyone is talking about it and they don't want this publicity. But I think it's important for us as well. It is important. That was a really scary video and you know, thankfully those guys landed and yeah. they're safe. And But yeah, we all can learn so much from that. You know, you've flown gliders all over the world in the last several years in so many countries and, you know, so many different varied terrains. What are two or three locations maybe you've flown that really stick out in your mind that if you had a month to live and you wanted to go soaring maybe a couple more times, where would you choose to do that? I would say that the first um, option which I would pick is New Zealand. It was an amazing experience to be there, to fly there, especially flying low at the cliffs at the beach. There you have 100 kilometers of length where you can really fly at the cliffs. And there are so many different types of landscapes um, within these 100 kilometers. Um, it was so fascinating also to um, start at an airfield directly at the beach or at the ocean. It's just awesome, just amazing to see this. Um, also, New Zealand has a lot of other stuff to, um, or you can fly on other locations in New Zealand. You can fly on the, I think it's a southern island in Omaram. Uh, I think in New Zealand, there are a lot of other options to fly in the mountains as well. I've seen so many amazing videos about the landscape there. So I would say that's, that's the first option which I would like to pick. And also the, um, the people were so kind there. I was invited to barbecue, uh, to, to have dinner with, uh, some pilots at their home. 
we went for a boat trip uh, we went fishing and all this together um, also the people were so kind that I think um, this is the first place which I would like to pick then also the adventure in South Africa where I was in, in Wooster was um, amazing the low level rich flying also to see the ocean from the glider it is a perfect playground for glider pilots during winter um, if they are into rich flying and they like to fly fast and low level yeah if i would need to pick a third option i'm not sure if i would take namibia or um, bosnia and herzegovina namibia is really a great experience as well but there you fly there usually you fly really high uh, with oxygen and so on so you're flying at about 5000 meters if you prefer to have these um, cloud flying or this uh, the thermal flying then namibia is um the the best way to go i would say because you have really high thermals you have good climb rates you have great cloud streets you can fly so fast also the landscape on one hand it can be boring but on the other direction um, there's also some different landscape there and it's also very interesting Bosnia and Herzegovina is one spot which I really like to fly. It was so different to, uh, let's say, South France or so. It, the mountains, the ridges were really great. And it was from the landscape, it was somehow different than what I've experienced before. It was a little bit, perhaps a little bit easier to fly than in uh, South France. And um, I like to do different things. So for me, the, the, the ultimate thing is to see a lot of different landscapes, a lot of different locations. And being just on one place is not enough for me, I would say. <laughs> or I try to be in different places as well. Well, keep documenting those videos. We are definitely enjoying those. There's some awesome views there. Yeah. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on self-launch sustainer equipped gliders and the rift we sometimes see in the community between the purest glider types who think that anything with any engine isn't a glider and then of course you got the folks who don't really make a distinction just because a glider has a motor it seems like there's so many old school pilots that really take exception to power gliders where do you fall when it comes to those um yeah as a competition pilot i think um it's not about the propulsion it's not about if it's a self-launcher or sustainer equipped glider it's about the performance of the glider so the moment i fly asg29 without um sustainer and what i like about it is that if you fly in a competition or you um, compare with other glider perhaps which is 100 or 150,000 euros more expensive, you can also keep up with this glider. So from the competition point of view, for me, it's good to have a glider with an equipped motor or engine, but it depends if you can afford it or not. Um, for me, the flying by itself is the part which I enjoy the most. Um, if I do an aero tow, it's fine for me. If I have a self-launcher glider, then it's also good to have and you have more possibilities to fly during the week. You can make some more, you can do travel by glider. You can 
um, fly in areas where the outlining possibilities are perhaps not as good. So I think it's a great opportunity to have these gliders, um, especially with the electric um, gliders, with the front electric sustainer and so on. It is very interesting to see what is possible if we are using um, a little bit of electric energy during our competition flight or to fly bigger distances or to fly in other areas. Um, so I think it's a great opportunity for us and we should not point to the people who have the ability to have a glider which is equipped with a sustainer engine possible to self-launch. There are also countries where it is really necessary, like in, in Namibia, most of the gliders are equipped with a um, self-launch engine because you don't want to make an outlanding there. It would be possible, but um, it's a lot of effort to get the glider back to the airfield. So that you really want to have an engine and also not only a sustainer engine, because with these conditions there, you um, need a good climb rate to, to get higher again. My ultimate dream for the future is um, to have a glider which has an electric propulsion to make self-launch perhaps during the week. It's not necessary to have the self-launch capability for full wing loading, but for flights, for, for adventures, it is would be really great to have um, this option. I agree, definitely. I, I love the electric stuff coming out. The technology, of course, is moving fast on that. So I'm, I'm really excited to see some of the stuff they're going to be coming out with. Uh, also, the, um, the front electric sustainer and the e-glide concept is really interesting, I would say, because you are able to fly at more competition days, also at weak conditions, at weak thermal conditions, you can make a competition task. And especially if we make more public videos or when we try to live stream uh, the flights and the tracking and so on to the web, then it is important to have as many flights as possible in a shorter period of time. So within a week, it would be great to have um, five flying days or so. And therefore, it is great. There are so many people and comments also on my YouTube channel that flying a glider with a, a motor, it's not a glider. I don't get it. Um, I really think we should try it. We sh gliding is about technology and we see the same technology in, in the cars. And at the moment, it's in, in the head of a lot of people that driving in Tesla and electric car is great and so on. That's why we can use this as well to, to make advertisement for our sports and gliding, especially the, the gliders are so efficient. So we only need a little bit of energy it's a lot more efficient than uh, in a car so we only need like the front electric sustain sustainer they have four kilowatts of electric power and they can fly for say 80 or 100 kilometers that's that's really amazing and really looking forward to see there uh, more different types of propulsion systems uh, of electrical propulsion systems there absolutely i'm excited about it myself well, I hope you're enjoying this great interview with Stefan Longer. I know I am. I just wanted to slip in a quick mention about our newest show sponsor, Just Soaring. 
These guys are doing an all-new glider simulator cockpit. For you Condor pilots out there, I think you're really going to be excited about this. This was designed from the ground up as a glider pilot with glider flight controls like flaps, multi-position detents, and a spring-loaded spoiler and wheel brake mechanism with flight controls laid out where you expect them to be in your glider cockpit built with super strong 8020 T-slot aluminum which will not only hold up over time but also allow for accessorization and customization designed by glider pilots for glider pilots their mission is to design, engineer, manufacture, and globally distribute a truly best-in-class yet very affordable performance glider sim cockpit. They plan to start taking pre-orders sometime in the next couple months. They're looking at first shipments to be in the spring of 2021. Yes, right around the corner. While they are a U.S. company, they plan to have warehousing in Europe to support that market as well. If you're thinking about upgrading your Condor cockpit, you might want to check these guys out first at JustSoaring.com or at Just.Soaring on Instagram. You can reach out to them via their website with any questions. Anyway, without further ado, now back to this interview with living legend glider pilot Stefan Longer. I almost forgot. Stefan called me back and he did want to add a little postscript about flight safety. So please make sure you stick around for that after our chat. All things equal, what kind of lift do you enjoy the most? Is it running low to run the ridges, maybe climbing up through thermals, rotor to get into wave? What do you like? If I would need to pick one, I would say, um, the low-level ridge flying. It is so amazing to see the speed, the energy, and so on um, directly on the ridge, how fast we gliders can fly. We can fly with 200, 250 kilometers per hour. That's so spectacular. But in general, I enjoy a lot that we glider pilots can use all these different types of lifts and possibilities to fly a glider and that's something which stands out for our sports for example paragliders they cannot use the ridge when there's too much wind um, they cannot use the wave with glider pilots we can use everything and for example wave flying is better possible here in germany during the winter so um it is great to fly um in the flatlands in the thermos and do huge triangles, huge tasks um, in spring or in summer to be somewhere in southern France or somewhere else and fly in the mountains is also an amazing experience. Something which I did not do um, a lot up to now is wave flying, but I made, I think, yeah, this year I made my first wave flight in Germany and it was perhaps the second or third wave flight in my whole career so um, that's something completely new for me but um, it is an amazing experience to be really high and to see um, what is possible with wave flying and especially also with the weather forecast for wave flying i really want to get more into these things as well in the future that's one good thing about uh, the situation up to now with the corona um I did not fly to South Africa or New Zealand um, this winter. So I tried to make the most out of it. What's here in Germany and what we can use here in Europe. I had three great wave flights up to now. I made also some videos about this. And um, it's an experience which I would like to do more of in the future. Speaking of the future, do you have any big or crazy plans or goals for 2021, either relative to maybe racing 
or some videos you want to do. We see you've got this cool new van driving around Europe. I think that's a perfect solution for a traveling glider pilot. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, I'm really glad that I have this one and it was a lot of work to to build the one. Yeah, goals for 2021. I um my my biggest competition or the most important po competition uh, is the World Gliding Championships next year. Let's hope that it will be possible to to do this next year. I'm there qualified in club class and um, yeah, I would say the, the complete um, competition plan for next year is around this um, event. I also planning to buy an LS3 um, to have a proper glider, um, an own glider for this competition because I don't like to, to rent or borrow gliders. Um, I tried it this year, but at the end, it really makes a huge difference if it's your own glider, if it's equipped with your barometer, with your navigation computer and everything. You need some more experience on, on the glider where you fly um, bigger competitions. Yeah, and then the, the part with the videos, I'm really looking forward to publish and make more videos next year. This year, um, also my flying season was really short. I was not able to fly at all these competitions and in these countries where I wanted to fly, but everything which I which I had planned for this year will be more or less next year. So there are a lot of um, videos coming up, and my goal would be to produce one um, crazy flying video story, which is which is also interesting for non-pilots. So I did um, the flight where I caught the rope, the tow rope in flight. That was somehow a video project, but um, I don't want to do the same stuff, but um, somehow in this direction to have an aerotow with a very interesting plane, perhaps to launch by car, to integrate the gliders with electric propulsion and so on. I think there are other YouTubers who are doing an amazing job um, when they produce a video with a story and it's a lot of work, a lot of planning, but I like those videos as well. And I used to do some videos uh, in this direction uh, some years ago, but um, this year I had not the time for this. And for next year, I definitely want to do more stuff in this direction as well at the beginning or at the end of the um, season. So I have, when I have more time. Well, we'll definitely be looking forward to this. Now, all of us have, have obviously had, you know, some off time and not in the glider as much as we liked in 2020, but do you feel like Condor helps you and helps your soaring skills in the off season? Is there anything Condor you, you feel maybe can create bad habits in pilots? And is there anything you wish they would do better? Um, yeah, yesterday I made a live stream on YouTube um, where we made a test flight on Condor 2 simulator. It was really interesting um, to, to experience this again. Um, several years ago, I um, was flying Condor also with multi-user on the web. It was great to um, to see something new, to see new landscapes, to to experience the the tactics and competition a little bit 
But then in the last years, I was more focused on flying um, in different countries also during winter. So I had not enough time to do this. But this winter, I really want to get more into um, this condor flying and through the simulator flying. It is a great possibility to um, to experience new landscapes, also perhaps for flying in um, France, in southern France, in the mountains. There, you um, it's really an advantage if you have experienced this area beforehand in uh, Condor and then you go to this location and you know this mountain is there and this is over there and you usually use this ridge and so on. There are pilots which really use um, Condor for competitions, um, for preparation for competitions, um, especially in the mountains. So I really want to get more into this. Um, I'm not sure if it is um, the best thing for um, beginners who never flew a glider to fly in Condor then because they don't get all those things around the glider. And um, if they crash, <laughs> they just um, repair it and, and they, they hit the outstanding lift and they are up in the air again. Somehow it, it is a simulator, but on the other hand, you also need to see it as a game and you need to take care of some bad habits you can get used to. I think what I'm really looking forward is to also have um, pedals for, for the rudder. Um, up to now, I only have a joystick and from Microsoft. And I think um, having this rudder also helps a lot to, um, to improve the skills of a, of a student and so on. Yeah, rudder pedals are definitely important if you can grab those. They, they say it makes a huge difference in training as well. Yeah, I can imagine. So finally, are there any people from your early days of learning to fly, family, friends, maybe people you currently fly with that you'd like to give a shout out? You know, we always like to give pilots a few minutes to acknowledge or thank the people that, that have been influential in their soaring. Yeah, there are so many um, people and pilots who helped me to get where I'm at the moment. Um, at the beginning, my my father, who brought me into this sport, who helped me, who supported me. The ones from the airfield, um, from my former aero club in Augsburg, the MBBSG. Um, there were some really motivated um, trainers who helped me to get the license really quickly and I think that was the most important point at the beginning that this motivation is there that um that you really want to get into it and want to push and yeah improve your skills and they helped me a lot so also my family my mother does not fly but um she helps me where she can and my brother is the one who helps so much in every Part. If I leave to a competition, he helps me to pack the stuff, to prepare the glider, to to make the maintenance during winter, um, to make the paperwork and everything. Um, he's really a huge um, help there. And also all my friends, my team partners, my teammates. Without them, it would not be possible. So it is really a team sport. Um, there's so much around being a competition pilot or also being a YouTuber. More and more the people who invite me to other locations, for example, to New Zealand and so on, they are so kind and 
it really helps me to do what I'm doing at the moment and to create these videos. Without all that, it would really not be possible. Thank you, Stefan. I greatly appreciate you spending some time with us. I know you're very busy, but the listeners appreciate it. And it's been a lot of fun chatting with you today. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, thank you as well, Chuck. It was a great talk with you. Keep documenting those videos. We're looking forward to seeing more of those. We definitely are enjoying that. Thank you very much. I will definitely upload more videos and publish um, also during this winter. I have more time to have a look at my older videos at competition flights and would like to get more into the analyzing things so that you can also learn about the flight, the competition flying and style. So this is one big goal also for next year to get more of these analyzing stuff on YouTube. Well, I'm sure, you know, most, if not all the listeners have seen some of your videos already, but for those that have not, we will put a link in the show notes there so they can get on the channel there and check out your videos. Yeah, thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you, Stefan. And now for our soaring safety segment, Stefan had some great things to say about safety. In general, it's really important that you don't see my flying style, especially those risky flights, as an idol, as a standard. It's really not the safest option to do. And especially if you don't have enough knowledge, enough practice and so on, please don't do those things. Especially if I'm flying really low at the cliffs, if I fly down mountain paths and so on. Most of the times I did it not the first time I was planning those things. And sometimes I fly the same track more often in a higher altitude and have a look if there's a power line, um, if there are some unexpected turbulences and so on. And all those things, you are the pilot. If you fly a glider, a plane, you are the pilot. So you need to stick to the safety standards. You need to stick to the rules. So please don't copy all of my videos, which I've uploaded there. Um, it is not smart to catch a tow rope in flight. It was a dream of me to do this and was nice to do it once. It was somehow okay for me to do, but um, there are so many things things which can happen and you can damage the glider, you can damage your arm and so on. There are so many mistakes which can happen. So please take care and not only push hard to get views, to get clicks uh, for YouTube videos or for other social media platforms. Be smart there. And now Soaring Tales with Dale. Dale Masters is the glider pilot and author and brings us another soaring tale on this episode. This one's called Beginner's Look. I was already a 20-year instructor, but flying back east in smaller terrain, and this was my first time ever to fly over the Sierras, the big, big terrain. So I, I realized being a 20-year instructor doesn't mean much. I just... Uh, I was absolutely on student footing, and I'd been studying, this is before the age of, uh, of Google Earth, and I'd been studying a 3D topo map of the route I wanted to take all winter. I'd been just memorizing this route, so I really did feel I understood it, but I'd never seen it. As it turns out, it was a great soaring day, and there were three different groups of 
glider pilots coming from three different glider ports all roaring up the Sierras that day. And I happened to be in the lead because I was the first one to take off from the northernmost airport. So I knew all these guys were behind me. I could hear them on the radio. And they were all much more locally experienced, if not more generally experienced. And they all had higher higher performance equipment. I was flying a uh, 30-something to one metal ship with no oxygen going into this super big terrain. And uh, I had a flight plan to go up to a certain place just where it gets too high and circle and take a uh, photographic panorama of the area for future research and then hurry home while I, while I, before I became too hypoxic. So I'm roaring my way up there, and it's, it's easier than I thought. The only real difficulty was the, terra- the terrain was so visually intimidating. That was my main problem, was just not being spooked by the terrain and just keep flying good. And uh, meanwhile, I knew there was a, a better line of lift off to my left, west of me, marked by cumulus up around 15,000, 16,000 feet. But I couldn't go there because I had no oxygen. So I'm running uh, a line that's not the best lift just to stay within range of lower ground. And uh, the first of the guys to pass me called from much higher and miles off to my side to tell me that my route was going to run straight into big rocks and I had to, to get onto his line of flight. But I, I appreciated the advice, but just told him, well, I'm going to be turning back here as soon as the terrain gets too big. And suddenly we were there. Now, instead of looking at treed slopes like, like you see in the east, uh, suddenly I'm looking at vertical walls of granite. And uh, my just trained instinct to get on close to a slope and, and ride the wind up it took over. And I just uh, flipped into habit mode and started slope soaring these giant granite slopes, becoming more and more hypoxic without knowing it. And then suddenly I see this stone cabin coming up. And I realized, recognized from photographs, that's the stone cabin on top of Mount Whitney which means I'd now gained another 1,000 feet unawares, and I was, by definition, quite hypoxic. So I realized that uh, in time and headed back and dove hard to get much lower back down to where I was going to take my photographs, which is a big bowl called Cottonwood Meadows. It's a big bowl surrounded by super terrain and gorgeous lakes. I got back down there and took my circular series of photographs, and then for, second, for, for good measure, I took a second round and then began to realize, well, yeah, but I've been circling in sync slowly. And now I'm in the bowl rather than above the bowl. And uh, most of the horizon is above eye level. And I have to get out of here or it's over. And that's when I began to hyperventilate for the first time. Now, I'd never done that before, but I recognized immediately, yeah, this is hyperventilation. This is how you kill yourself. So I controlled that, and then at that point, uh, there was just one route left, and that was straight south toward home, but along the top of lowering high terrain. And I just, I knew I had to make it, so I just went straight down it mile after mile, with the home probably another 100 miles to get back. And honestly, from that point, from realizing, okay, I got to dash home. From that point, 
to tie any airplane down, I have no memory of the flight. I was so hypoxic at that point, I was just going on uh, instinct and habit because I don't remember the homeward leg of that. What turned out to be at that point, my most spectacular flight ever. I was so hypoxic when I got back, I studiously tried to be nonchalant and tied my glider down in the wrong spot. And when I had to move it 100 feet and tie it down again, it almost made me cry. I was just so wanted to lie down and go to sleep. And it was my day off, so as soon as I could, I got on my bike and rode three miles home. It felt like 100 miles. And just fell asleep mid-afternoon and slept till the next morning. I still don't remember the homeward leg of my best flight up to that time. Hypoxia. Thank you, Dale, for another Soaring Adventures with Soaring Tales with Dale. Greatly appreciated. And now for our tips and techniques segment. We caught up with Barbara Riftava to find out how her 2020 soaring season went. Barbara Mriftova, welcome back to Soaring the Sky. I'm excited to have you back on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me again. I'm really glad that we can talk again about gliding. Yeah, it's always fun to talk about gliding. Yeah, it's always that. (laughs) I know it's been kind of a challenging year for a lot of people. So what has been going on with your soaring and how has it changed? What have you been able to do? What have you not been able to do? Yeah, well, the last time we we spoke about gliding and uh, what might come or what what came like at the beginning of the year, speaking about the COVID-19. At the time, I I spoke in front of our uh, airfield hangar uh, after a flight, really happy about my flying. And uh, now there there is just the day uh, in December thinking about what happened during the past year. And actually... The expectation was that I didn't know what to expect, actually. (laughs) I think that it was quite amazing year. I spent like half of the year at the airfield as I was at uh, like on home office at work. So it was uh, it was possible to stay away from Prague. And actually, we we had really many competitions in Czech Republic. I think that all of them that were planned originally uh, happened. So it was quite amazing that we could enjoy the whole summer uh, full of gliding. Of course, when the weather allowed us to fly. But uh, I enjoyed my conversion to LS8 and I became the instructor as we spoke about that in the the April. So um, I think that the goal was achieved this year. Wow, that's awesome that you were able to do all that flying. You had told me that you were just getting into flying the LS8. So how did that go? Well, actually, it it went it went pretty good. I think uh, the glider itself, uh, without without water ballast, is really like handy and nice to fly. When you just fill it with water, it's it's becoming even better. So. I enjoyed every single flight with LSA this year and I believe that I'm just like getting into flying with water ballast and uh, I really enjoy that. It was amazing. During AZ Cup, like the first competition of the season, and actually AZ Cup held at Zbraslavica was the first competition held in the Europe, speaking about the COVID-19 situation. So it was pretty amazing to, to meet all the people there and um, I managed to, to win a day. Uh, we had only four days, but, but I managed to win one day. So it really 
like motivated me to uh, get into flying with water ballast even more. And it was really amazing. It was it was perfect. <laughs> when 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 we mention LS8, I just can't stop thinking about all the positive words like awesome, beautiful, nice, stunning, and those kind of words. So, yeah, it's amazing. What do you like about the LS8? Everything. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> quite an easy answer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, tell me about water ballast a little bit. So, for a lot of people that haven't used the water ballast, just kind of give us a basic explanation of how it starts. Well, I just I just found out some some interesting things um, about flying with water ballast because I think it's quite a taboo to talk about like dumping water ballast before you're arriving at the airfield. So the first thing I learned with uh, water ballast is that you have have to really work with it. Uh, you know how the glider flies without the water ballast. And then you fill it with water and some of the ways you fly the glider are different, for example, speeds. But then you have to work with the water ballast you have and also with the weather conditions you have for the day. So it's really interesting to think about what water ballast is the best for you for the day, speaking about the conditions. So um, I just I just like felt the need to know how the glider flies with different water ballast weights. So this is quite an interesting stuff to, to learn before. Uh, or, or the first thing to, to learn is like how the, how the water ballast works with the glider. Yeah, so um, it, is, it is really interesting to, to fly on a different weight and to see how the, the glide changes and the, all, all the, the handling stuff changes. So I think this is like the most important stuff you need to learn when you start flying with water ballast. So it's like flying another glider yeah. in a sense, yes. because when you yes. put the water ballast in, it changes. Yes, it changes a bit. But speaking about the LS8, I think that I couldn't wish for any better glider to fly uh, as the first one with water ballast. It, it doesn't really change that much. It really gets better. When I first flew under a cloud street with full tanks and I just like, pushed it when there was a thermal and I was just gliding up to the cloud base like nothing happens and the speeds just goes down really really slow I was really shouting out loud that I love the glider <laughs> and I love water ballast nice yeah so um <laughs> so it changes way too much but not that much as as I would say it's really hard to say it changes but it's good to know what what the glider does uh, on a different weight so it was amazing to have full tanks during a perfect day uh, with cloud streets. But uh, then when the weather wasn't that good, it was good to like play with it a bit. Just to know where the, the glide is the best for the day. And yeah, it's, it's quite amazing. I, I see so many ways to learn uh, speaking about water ballast. With the water ballast, how long were you in the air on some of those flights? Well, I think uh, this year I attempted to fly 750 kilometers polygon task. I managed to fly because the, the conditions were pretty weak. So I managed to fly like 600 kilometers only. And I think that I spent some, some, some kind of seven hours in the air. And yeah, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. And 600, I wouldn't sneeze at that. I would love to have a flight like that. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> well, it was something unimaginable to me before I flew it, actually. That was the same during the wave uh, flying I spoke about in April. So um, when you do it, then suddenly it's like doable. And then you just think about like doing more. So it's really nice. <laughs> That's gliding. I'd forgotten to mention when we started chatting, but yeah, you, you were on episode 62. So if they want to go and check that episode out, your story's on there. Yeah, it was a nice talk in April speaking about um, wave flying and th those those other experiences. It was. I enjoyed that. We were talking earlier before we started the podcast here, but can you tell me about the E2 Glide that you were in? Uh, well, yeah, I managed to attend uh, E2 Glide, just a visitor, but uh, my friend, uh, Lima Yenki, you can find her on Instagram as well. She was a tech pilot over there, and it is like a whole new concept of a gliding competition, which I quite like. It's for uh, just fast gliders, and... Uh, the competing is not just about using the best out of the day, but uh, you are also allowed to use the FAST engine for the task. You have just, uh, I don't know how, how it's defined, but uh, you, have, you have the amount of energy you can use for the day. So uh, you just don't work with the energy given by the air, but also by the FAST engine. So it's quite interesting to see how the tactics goes during the day. Uh, some people use it when they reach not that good area of, of air mass, but then uh, some other guys just use it for the final glide. So it was interesting to see the tactics and there were just one of the best pilots or many, many, many best pilots of the world. For example, Matthew Scato was there. Uh, Stefan Langer, uh, as everybody knows him from Instagram as well, and many others, uh, of course, Yui and th those other pilots. It was really amazing experience. I spent 24 hours over there and I didn't really want to leave. It was it was amazing. That must have been a fast 24. Yeah, it was. It was, but amazing, really. <laughs> so they give you so much time to use your energy. And you, like you said, you can use it whenever you choose to use it. But then that's it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, and you also have, as I understood, you also have like different amount of energy you can use for each day. So it's defined during the briefing that now you can today you can use this amount of energy for the task. Also, an interesting thing is that when you overuse the energy, you just have a penalty points and the winner of the day has like zero penalty points. So there is no that 1000 point uh, system as we usually have during a competitions, but uh, it is a system of like zero penalties for the winner. So this is also some kind of an interesting concept I, I found. So. It's way different than other competitions, but I think that it definitely has a future. Yeah, I think in the future it probably will be more popular because they're really starting to get into these electric motors for the gliders, which is super interesting. I mean, they got some really cool stuff. Yeah. And I would imagine as all that comes into play. Yeah, definitely. And I think that there are many ways to 
to make the competition more interesting. So I think E2Glide has come up with quite an interesting concept of competing with gliders. Yeah, let's see where it comes next year. Maybe we will find out that there are some many other interesting things added to the concept of E2Glide. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be pretty exciting, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think so. Okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit. You're still flying with the women's team, right? Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, it's it's just uh, about preparations for next years, as we don't know what happens next year. So the Women Worlds are, are planned for 2022 at the moment in the UK. It should be held in the UK, but uh, we will see what happens with the COVID-19 situation. All of the world competitions were like postponed, so we will see what happens. Now it's just about the preparations. So how many competitions were you in this past year then, 2020? Yeah, during this year, I went to one, two, when I'm not counting the Australian uh, Women Worlds, I went to three competitions. So I have to ask you, if you could pick out a couple of those flights, can you have a couple there that you'd like to tell us about? Well, uh, there were really many interesting flights this year. During uh, during the AZ Cup, we had only only uh, four flying days and from those only three were uh, valid. But uh, there was one interesting day uh, when there was a line of uh, storms and rain showers. And uh, we had an AAT task and we were quite lucky to, to manage to go through the, the rain showers without any harm, I would say. As many of the pilots outlanded and we were able to continue the flight and we could use the best out of the, of the good area that day so we managed to with with my teammates we managed to win the day so it was quite amazing it was really amazing experience and uh, i think that second memorable flight was from the czech nationals uh, when there was really awful day it was blue sky and the thermals were really weak and i just had that bad luck that once we uh, had the track around the the airfield of origin, uh, I managed to get down to <laughs> to 200 meters AGL, and I was like thinking, yeah, I was like thinking, oh my god, wh- what am I going to do? I'm just I'm just flying in a positive uh, zero zero thermal, and um, it's almost finish of the day, and what am I gonna do? What should I do? I think I'm I'm just ah. Uh, leave it out and land there was just this this wormy thinking oh my god what what happens when you land you will be angry on yourself so i was like uh battling with myself uh to to continue the task then i managed somehow to be that patient and get a bit higher and uh, i managed to finish the task so um, I really enjoyed a beer after this fight because uh, <laughs> I'm sure the battle, yes, <laughs> because the battle was quite tough. It's always the the worst when you're battling yourself but not others. So yeah, it was the biggest win uh, this year, I would say. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and maybe another memorable flight where during uh, the last competition I attended uh, at the end of August. Uh, it is quite an interesting, interesting small competition. It is a Grand Prix, and we fly a monotype over there. And uh, the monotype is VSO10. It's a Czechoslovak glider. <laughs> it's um, it's a bit wooden. It's a bit like from composite 
and um, yeah, we we call it multi-material special glider. So we flew those old timers. It's quite an old timer, I would say. So we flew Grand Prix on those gliders, and there was a flight when I didn't believe that we can even stay airborne, but we did, and we all finished the task. So that was also a memorable flight for for this year. What's the glide ratio on that older glider? Oh my God, that's that's a that's a harsh question. <laughs> well. <laughs> To be honest, I never, I never thought about that because I just, I just try to feel the glider and uh, not to like tend to like think about the glider. Only speaking about the glide, glide ratio, but, but as far as I remember, I think it is like thirty-six to one or maybe thirty-seven, thirty-six to one. I would say, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Single seater. Yeah, single seater. Yeah, it's like 50 meters uh, wingspan, quite a usual glider. And this type of glider was uh, used for competitions in the past. It was the, like the prototype was like flew in 1976 for the first time. So it's not that old glider, I, I think. It's something like Standard Cirrus, but it's Czechoslovak and it's an old timer. <laughs> Have you flown other Grand Prix? Was that one of your first or...? Uh, well, I already attended this co- this competition in the past, but in the club class. This year, it was the first time with the old timer, but I really enjoy that. It was something way different. I think everybody who's flying those high speed gliders and really high competitions, they should really like stop for a while and enjoy slower speeds of the of the gliders as well as the VSO-10 is really not that fast glider. And when you have like 80 kilometers per hour on the on the whole task, it is a really good thing. But uh, I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed the, the every sightseeing flight, I would say, because it is really slow <laughs> in comparison with the LS-8. Yeah, big difference. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Your plans are to plan for the new season as long as everything goes well yeah i'm planning the the next season as nothing happens uh, as the covid-19 doesn't really exist that would be really nice fairy tale if it doesn't exist anymore we will see what the next season brings definitely uh, definitely planning at least three competitions next next year so we will see if uh, they are able to be held hopefully they are yeah, amen to that. I know it's much later there than it is here, so I don't want to keep you up too late. <laughs> well, that's definitely okay. I'm an owl. <laughs> Eagle during the day and owl okay. during the night. <laughs> now, you said earlier that you were getting into instructing. Yeah, well, I managed to finish uh, my instructor license in September. So I'm finally an instructor now. So I'm thinking... And really looking forward to uh, new gliding students that will come to our airfield school. So congratulations! Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it was it was a really interesting thing. I just didn't because everybody told me that it will give me like a lot speaking about uh, gliding skills. And I was thinking, oh my god, I can't learn anything new speaking about the elementary stuff. But I did, actually. And uh, I'm really glad that I under- underwent the instructor training because it really gave me a lot. And it taught me that even with the basics, everybody can learn, even though they have like 
more than 1000 hours flown. So um, I would recommend that to everybody who's thinking about that with enough experience, because it was really it was really something. I would recommend that to everybody. Yeah, we can always learn as aviators. Yeah, that's true. That's what I love about gliding, actually. Well, thank you for your contribution to the soaring world by being an instructor. You're going to, I'm sure, help out a lot of people and teach them how to fly. That's going to be an awesome experience. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I will I will try to focus on uh, like cross-country flying and sport, sport gliding, because that is something that... Um, it's like going down, I would say, in the world in general. And uh, I, I would like to let people know how, how the gliding is amazing sport. And as my friend Adam Vuli says, give your child a gliding experience. They will never want to do anything else and they will never have money for drugs. So <laughs> that is, yeah. That's right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So um, that is that is like uh, something I would like to achieve uh, in my instructor life to show people how gliding is amazing sport and it doesn't really end with the elementary training, that there are many, many experiences they can enjoy many things they can see uh, thanks to gliding. So it would be really great to make make gliding great again. It would, yes, absolutely. That is our goal. Yeah, and you make really, really good efforts, Chuck, with the, the podcast because it's really amazing. Thank you very much. And thank you all for being guests on the show. It's great to have everyone's help and this has been a lot of fun. But yeah, that is our goal. Yeah, I think so. And it's really great that the gliding community around the world really tend to connect. It's always nice to know somebody from a different gliding community. Uh, for example, you from America or anybody from Australia, Africa. It's really amazing to that gliding can connect people from all, all over the world uh, as any other sport. So it's amazing. It is. It makes for a smaller world and it's very cool to have friends all over the world and share the love of soaring. Yeah, that's true. Barbara, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really great to catch up with you. I'm glad it turned out to be a better year than what it could have for you, and you got to do a lot of flying, and it's been great to hear those stories. Yeah, thank you very much for having me again, because um, I really like to talk about gliding, and I think we could spend so many hours talking about it and all the experiences we, we both enjoyed. And yeah, I'm glad that the season wasn't that bad. And I hope that everybody enjoyed it at least as much as I did. And hopefully the next one is much, much better for us, for all of us. Well, I will be bugging you again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, it would be perfect to speak about it next year again. All right, Barbara, take care. Yeah, thank you very much, Chuck. Take care too. And looking forward to hear uh, any other guests during this Soaring the Sky podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on this episode. I hope you all had as much fun as I did. I would like to give a quick shout out myself to our new co-producer, Mitch Thompson. Thank you. He is the man with many hats. We hope you have a wonderful holiday season. We are looking forward to bringing you more great guests and soaring content in 2021 here on Soaring the Sky. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter so you don't miss hearing about what's coming. Until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and happy soaring. If you would like to say hi, just drop Chuck a line at chuck at soaringthesky.com or you can send us a note on the website 
soaringthesky.com. Also, if you're a pilot, we want to hear your story. Just send us an email and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next week for another great guest and adventure on Soaring the Sky. Music for the podcast was written and produced by Kim Spangler. Voiceover work was provided by Michelle Perez. Graphic design for the podcast was created by Zachary Fulton.